Money FM 89.3, the best of the breakfast huddle. The weekly wrap on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's the Breakfast Huddle with Elliot Danker and Ryan Huang. Time now to take a look at some headlines that people are paying attention to this week. Caught your attention this week. It really is a bit of a sports edition because, you know, looking at how the world's going through inflation, football transfers in the world of sport are at an all-time high. How are they doing it? Over $2 billion in England alone. Plus, you got debt-ridden clubs like Barcelona somehow managing to buy just about everyone in the world. Well, let's get a... Uh, sports business perspective from James Walton, sports business group leader, Deloitte Southeast Asia. Good morning, James. Hey, good morning. Are you happy with uh, Tottenham Hotspur's transfer window to start things off? <laughs> I was I was happy about four or five weeks ago. I'm not sure if I'm still happy oh, yeah. now. <laughs> we'll, we'll see you back in January. Uh, but first of all, uh, James, this is a bit of a technical question. How do clubs afford to make these signings? Where exactly does the money come from? So for most clubs, the income falls into three major categories. The, the first one is their match day revenue, so ticket sales, F&B, that kind of thing. The second is their marketing and commercials, which would be uh, sponsorships that they have as advertising, as well as potentially their sales of, of merchandise. And the third one is broadcasting revenue and, and, and TV money. There's an element of prize money, but prize money in many cases, like the Premier League, is tagged onto, onto broadcasting revenue. And the distribution of this varies by club, by league. So in lower leagues, you tend to be more on match day revenues, less on broadcast revenue because you're not getting big TV deals. But in the Premier League, it's all about the broadcasting revenue. And I suppose that leads us to how, you know, the Premier League being one of the most viewed uh, football leagues in the world. I mean, we saw just in England alone over $2 billion spent in this transfer window. At a glance, I mean, what's your impression? I mean, it, there's no inflation, no problem. Let's get a $100 million player. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. We thought we had reached a peak kind of pre-pandemic and that the pandemic would force people to look at their realities when they suddenly found they couldn't afford to pay their their staff and, and needed to take out government loans and such. And everyone talked about a reset in football, and yet here we are in the first post-pandemic window, and, and we're back there. And, and the answer is in part because the Premier League has a new TV deal, which has mm. just kicked in this year with an even higher amount which means clubs now have guaranteed income for the next couple of years from that. And the spending is going up in line with the inflation that's happening in the TV deal. So if I know about this TV deal, which I'm sure they do, and I'm a club in, let's say, Holland, I've got a club in England approaching me and a club in Spain approaching me. I'm going to charge more money to the club in England, aren't I? I mean, you're going to try to, and it, and it is it is happening like that, and, and that's the reality. And, and it happens for two reasons. Firstly, as you say, because the clubs have more money, they're more willing to spend money. But secondly as well, just because in many cases, European clubs, because they have generally more relaxed work permit rules than, than the UK, they're able to take a gamble on players coming out of South America at a first stage. So you tend to see South American players go into Netherlands, Portugal, Spain, and then when they establish themselves in Europe and they see what can happen, then the Premier League can now take a chance on them. So there's, that's another reason why sometimes you see these players moving for big markups into the UK. Right. But there are some clubs, and this hasn't stopped some clubs, from creatively creating 
creating money in that sense. I'm talking about Barcelona. Um, the the background is they've they've got a whole bunch of issues as far as salary caps are concerned. This is because of rules that the Spanish league has implemented. But they have somehow this transfer window managed to sign so many players in spite of the fact that they well they should have been in administration. Yeah, you know, in Singapore, we often talk about the four taps. We have no water, so we turn on the four taps. Barcelona have no have no money, and their owner keeps talking about opening another tap, opening another tap all the time. And 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 what they've effectively done is mortgage their future. Right. So they have given they have sold future TV rights at a lower price than the income that they would get for it. They've sold future merchandising and, and marketing rights, for, again, for a lower price. And they've even sold a stake in-house video uh, and production team. So they are really mortgaging their future on a gamble that if they can uh, be successful in the short term, that they can start to recover some of that income as now fans are returning to the stadium post-pandemic. Mm, yeah, it, it, I like how you put the, it. It is a gamble on the future and, and you have to actually be successful. If they're not, I know we're speculating here, but if they're not, could we potentially see some kind of a legal dispute or perhaps the fall of, of Barcelona? I mean, they're definitely heading towards something because they're over a billion euros in debt. Their stadium, the, the Camp Nou, is in desperate need of of redevelopment. But the, the funny thing as a club is that they are a club that is owned by the fans mm. and elects a president. And so it's a race to the bottom sometimes because to be elected, you have to tell people that you're going to sign the world's biggest players and spend money. Uh, nobody wants to elect someone that's going to come in and say, I'm going to be fiscally prudent and not mm. going to buy any players. So every new owner coming in is going to have the same problem. Mm. Uh, again, a bit of an opinion piece, a bit of, an, uh, a, bit of a speculation type question as well. In, in your opinion, do you think out of the leagues, all the different leagues in Europe, does Germany still stand as one of the more economically viable models, in your opinion? I mean, there's a lot of things to like about German football. Their ownership model, which puts the fans at the centre, so the fans have to own half the club. Uh, the fact that they really cap their match day ticket prices, particularly for away fans, to keep football affordable. Now, they haven't done as well on, on broadcasting deals as you would like, yeah, but if you look yeah. at someone like Bayern Munich, their their model in terms of distribution of income between match day revenues, commercial and, and broadcasting, is almost in a in the one 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 model. It's almost balanced. And that does mean that when you get into a situation like the pandemic, um, that they were not as dependent on match day revenues. And it also means going forward they, they are potentially much more sustainable. Mm. But James, it is a unique year because uh, this time around we've got the World Cup at the end of the year, uh, which would be the middle of uh, most of these uh, European leagues uh, campaigns. I mean, what could that potentially do in terms of the January transfer window? Could we see a record-breaking window if uh, there are more breakout stars in uh, Qatar at the end of the year? Yeah, I think it leads to two potential scenarios. One, as you say, is that there are people that really set the world alight and, mm. and so in January become hot properties. The other one is potentially that we could see injuries. So you can imagine if some of these Premier League stars get injured at the World Cup and they're supposed to be playing again on Boxing Day, December 26th, straight after the World Cup. And it's a very busy season. I think that's one of the reasons we're seeing squads bulking up. That could also lead to people dipping into the transfer market. 
James Walton, Sports Business Group Leader for Deloitte Southeast Asia is on the line with me. We're going to get into a bit of a controversial topic. There are reports saying the great David Beckham has been given a £10 million contract to be the face of the World Cup in the Gulf State, Qatar. Now, he hasn't acknowledged it, but he's uh, produced a couple of uh, ad videos, right? He insists his involvement is all about the greater good, using his image for the good of football. But he's been accused of sports washing, um, basically promoting nations with horrific human rights records, uh, actively silencing those who are discriminated against. But tell us a little bit more about sports washing and how big a concern is this right now? Yeah, we've seen a lot of cases that this has been um, this has been levelled at in recent years. Of course, with all the major investments into European football clubs such mm. as Paris Saint Germain, Manchester City, and now the most recent one, of course, with with Newcastle being bought out by by the Saudi owners. Yeah. And and there there is a feeling that really what sport washing about is about is about political regimes effectively buying branding, buying airtime, trying to give themselves positive connotations. And there was a big outcry in the Premier League when Newcastle announced their away strip for this season. And it basically looks like the Saudi Arabia uh, uniform. It's white with a green trim and there hasn't been much green on Newcastle uniforms before. So it's definitely an emerging issue but it you know the like the reality of these regimes and such is that they have a lot of money um and and rich people do like to have play things and and like to be at center stage and like to be you know at the premier league and and showing off their their wealth so there's an element of that it's not all sport washing but um at the end of the day there's not a lot you can do about it as long as these owners are, are passing what they are calling the fit and proper owner tests in yeah. terms of whether or not they are backed or, or accused of human rights violations or backed by governments and such. But again, the Newcastle deal went through in that scenario, so it's difficult to see really what would foul, fall foul at the moment of those rules. Yeah. Actually, another aspect about uh, you know rich people owning sports teams, a lot of American owners uh, are heading into Europe. Uh, most recently this week, uh, investment group out of America, Red Bird Capital, completing a deal to buy AC Milan from Elliott Advisors. $1.2 billion, that that's the valuation of the current Serie A champions. Why are Americans looking at European football clubs or even uh, English football clubs for that matter? Why not invest in uh, the MLS, grow, grow the scene there? Well, it's actually very hard to invest in the MLS because <laughs> the, US, uh, the US works on a franchise model for, for their right. soccer league, same as they do for baseball, basketball, and all that. So, so people will be familiar with David Beckham and his Miami yeah. franchise. Yeah. You basically have to buy into the league. But to do that, the other league owners have to vote to allow you in. And, and most major league sports in the US have between 26 to 30 teams, which is about... Uh, the schedules and the major markets mm. that they want to play into as well as the talent pool. And there's a feeling, in fact, that MLS may have already uh, got more clubs than there is talent in, in the market. But mm. MLS clubs, the valuations are going very, very high. In fact, Vincent Tan recently sold uh, a stake in an MLS team and that has led to a feeling that the valuations have gone up as much as 30% in recent years. But I think the main reason these U.S. investors are looking out is because they're seeing that in Europe there are major teams with major brand values like your AC Milan's uh, that are perhaps underpriced um, and represent an opportunity. Uh, But to be clear, you have to be in it for the long run because you don't make a profit on a football team on day-to-day 
operations and there's very rarely any kind of dividend or anything that comes out, you generally only make your profit at the moment where you cash out. Yeah, yeah, like what the Glazers are doing. James, final question for you. Uh, your beloved Spurs taking on Fulham this weekend. What's the score going to be? It depends which Fulham team shows up. They've just signed about five new players. Yeah. But if Carl, if Carlos Vinicius scores the winning goal, I'm going to be I'm going to be quite upset. I'm going to go for a two two one Spurs win just because we're we're at home. Yeah. I'll take that. And maybe Richarlison might celebrate a little bit uh, by doing some juggling. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Hey, thank you so much for your time and speaking with James Walton, Sports Business Group leader for Deloitte Southeast Asia. James, thanks for your time. Take care. Have a great weekend. Hey, have a good weekend. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.